Hello, Plan family. I'm so glad to be with you here on the online campus. My name is Pastor Jeremy. I want to thank you for joining us from wherever you are in the world, whether you're from a different part of the state of New Jersey or you're from a different part of the country or the different part of the world. Please type in the chat box and let us know if you are on Facebook online or if you are on our church online platform, you'll see a chat box. Type it in. We're curious to hear where you are from, and we are so thankful that you are here. You know, I'm always fascinated about what people think about New Jersey for people that are outside of New Jersey and people that visit here. Although we are the, the garden state, many visitors here have, have lots of complaints and the wrong impression about the state of New Jersey. Oftentimes, visitors in our state complain about the roads or the traffic or, or the crazy Jersey Shore and Seaside Heights and, and lots of other things about the state. Most people only pass through the state of New Jersey just using it as, as a way to pass through to get to other world-class destinations in our country like New York City or, or any state that's, that's south of us or, or west of us. I remember I, I had a friend once who had, had never been, been to New Jersey but had driven to, through New Jersey only once. And the only time that he was here, he, he drove through the, the segment of the New Jersey Turnpike that went through all the oil refineries. And he had to endure all the horrible, strong smells coming from those, those refineries. And forever after that, he was 100% convinced that New Jersey was actually a toxic wasteland of a state. I tried hard to convince him otherwise, but he would not change his mind. You know, the other thing that people from out of state are extremely frustrated by, including people from New York, are, are all the jug handles on the major commercial roadways like Route 17 or Route 208 or Route 1 or Route 23 or, or whatever road, you name it. You could be trying to go to a New Jersey diner that's literally across the street from you, but instead you can't make this left turn. Instead, you might have to go another mile down the road in the middle of, of tons and tons of traffic to find the next U-turn jug handle to come around to exit. And not just that, it's so confusing because the U-turn jug handle is never the first exit. Sometimes it's the first exit, sometimes it's the second. Oftentimes you have to pass the first exit and go past the overpass. And then the second exit is a U-turn and you have to come around. And when you take that U-turn, it, it sends you on this infinite centripetal spin where your body is smashed to this, the left side of, of the car. And you go around with incredible G-forces, around and around and around and around so many times. And it's like this amusement park ride because you have no idea when it's going to spin you off. And all of a sudden, when you least expect it, it catapults you right off back into a dangerous merge on the northbound side of the road where cars are flying. And you're on this new side of the road, and now you have to drive a mile up the road again on the other side of the road through traffic to finally get to the diner that was originally across the street from you, from where you started, and this whole time to just finally sit down and enjoy your Taylor, Taylor ham egg and cheese breakfast sandwich. How many of you can relate to that? Please comment in the chat box below or next to us. If you are blessed to live in New Jersey, you know that there is no need to fear 
Because if you miss your jug handle U-turn, no matter where you are, there will always be another exit in front of you somewhere coming up where you could just get on and make a turn around. As you know, we are in now in the midst of our 40 days of prayer and fasting. And these 40 days are, are an opportunity for us to go deeper in our relationship with God. And one of the disciplines that enables us to do this is the practice and the discipline of repentance. The word repent comes from the, the Greek word metanoia, which, which means to change your thoughts, to have a change in your mind of the pattern of the way that you think, a mental change in the direction of the thoughts for you to turn around. This morning, what, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at two churches in the book of Revelation that Jesus himself calls to repentance. We will also learn what true repentance means and how we can make that a part of, our, of living a victorious life as believers. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. The message to the church in Ephesus. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you first did. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. But this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the... Nicolaitans, just as I do. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. To everyone who's victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. So what do we have going on here? Here we're looking at the book of Revelation. Revelation is the last book of the Bible. It's a book of future prophecy. It's a book of eschatology, which, is, which refers to the end times, the time of judgment. And this is a book that's written by the apostle John while he was exiled for his faith on the island of Patmos. John was, was the only apostle that was not martyred, but he died of natural means. Now, while John was, was on this island, while he was praying in the spirit, he hears this, this voice, the voice of Jesus, and sees this amazing, spectacular vision. And in that vision, he sees seven golden lampstands representing the seven churches. And in the midst of that, he sees the exalted, glorified Jesus. And he gives this indescribable heavenly vision of this. 
And in this vision, Jesus holds up seven stars, which were symbolic of the, the angels or, or the messengers, which we think we're, we're talking about, the, the leaders of those seven churches. And although, and Jesus, he was instructing John to write this letter to those churches, encouraging them, but also calling them to a place of repentance. Although there were seven literal churches, the message is true for us today, the church, because in different ways it relates to all of us, the church now. And this is a message calling us to repent, to turn back to our first love, to turn back out of a life of compromise. So that brings us to our first point. Turn back to your first love. Turn back to your first love. Jesus is, uh, John is, is writing this message from Jesus first to the, for the church in Ephesus. And Ephesus was this famous city in the ancient world. It was on the, the western coast of Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. Now, this city of, of Ephesus was world-famous for, for this ancient temple, the temple to the goddess Diana or Artemis in Greek. It was one of the ancient wonders of the world. People came from all over the world to visit this temple and to worship there. And the city was a city of great cultural and political and religious significance. The church in Ephesus was a solid church. It was a successfully moving church. We know that, that Paul lived there for a few years. Aquila and Priscilla were there. Timothy was there. Possibly even John himself later in his life. So when we see the scripture and we see this message, we see that, that Jesus addresses this church first in, in true pastoral nature, affirming them. Jesus affirms them, mentioning all the positive things that they are doing. Their hard work, their patience. They're, they're not tolerating evil people or false teachers. And having patience and suffering without quitting. This was an, an extremely hard-working church. They did not compromise the truth of the gospel, and they were not quitters. They even rejected the teaching of the, the Nicolaitans, who were heretical false teachers that had influence on the church, and they likely endorsed the people of the church to adopt sinful practices of the local people of that area. You know, in today's standards, from the outside, this church of Ephesus would probably have looked like the perfect church. If you were church shopping and you were online looking at different churches' websites and you saw their church, it probably would have been awesome. Probably would have had pictures of lots of happy people shaking hands, of parking lot attendants greeting people as they came in. Pictures of people worshiping and, and holding hands together. There probably would have been a page of, uh, of the church listing all their programs and outreaches and things that they do in their community or a page on, on how new people can, can sign up. It probably had a page listing all the sound theological orthodox Christian doctrine and theology that that church believed. And if you were to visit that church in person, everything probably would have seemed perfect. They would have probably had solid systems and, and, and processes put into place. They probably had comfortable chairs and coffee and bagels and maybe even an omelet station. A cool worship band, colored lights, sound doc doctrinal preaching with jokes thrown in. An awesome kids program was, was well funded. 
But deep down, you might have felt that something was not right. So despite all this, Jesus notes one big shortcoming in this church. And that was this, that they had left their first love for him and for each other. It says that they had fallen so far away from where they once were. They were once passionate and loving to God and to each other. Their hearts, their minds, their, their spirits, their lives were fully present originally. And then Jesus is asking them to turn back, to turn back to do the works that they did in the beginning of their relationship. Although from the outside, this, this church looked great, they were no longer motivated by their love for Christ. So Jesus issues this warning to them, not out of anger, but out of love. And he says, if you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. What does this mean? You see, the church is supposed to be the body of Christ. It's supposed to be the representation of, of Christ on this earth. The church is supposed to be the light of the world, the salt of the earth, the city on a hill that everyone can see from miles away, pointing to hope and salvation. Do you know in the, in the physical universe right now, the, the natural state of the physical universe is, is a darkness? We only get light from the, from the star, from the sun. We only see light from stars far away coming from light years far away because of their light. And Jesus is telling these people that, that if they don't repent, he will remove their lamp, light, lampstand from them and their light. Their church would be dismantled. It would, it would, it would, it would lose their, their influence. It would fade away in the world and not be seen. Just like in the Old Testament when we read about the glory of God that has departed from the temple because the people had fallen into sin. This would be a sad and disappointing loss. Just like I'm sure today if you drive around New Jersey or, or other parts of the country, you may see lots of Churches that, that are, are the shadow or shell of their former selves and, and their former presence that they once had. But this message is, is not for just the church as an organization. This, Jesus is writing this, this message to us as individuals because we make up the church. We are the body. We are the church. And the question he's asking us is this. Have you lost your first love? Are we like the church in, in Ephesus that if someone were to look at us from the, from the outside, everything looks great. If someone were to look at our Instagram profile, they would see pictures of us, our vacations and our kids and all these happy moments and all these things that we're doing. If someone were to look at us from the outside, they would say that we have a great marriage or, or you, we have smart kids and that we're, we're someone that gives to charities and, and we don't curse or use swear words and we're someone that volunteers in the community and goes to church every week and volunteers in the kids' program program and the greeting, greeting program and, and we look good in the eyes of the world and the church and the community that we are a solid Christian but on the inside we have lost our love for God and others when people see you do they say from the outside this person looks like they're, they are a great Christian but I'm not sure if he's really a follower of Jesus 
Do you remember? Do you remember the passion that you had for Christ when you first became a believer? Do you remember that time? Do you remember that season? That moment where, where you were praying all the time, where you were reading the Bible every day, where you were talking through Jesus throughout the day and telling other people about him, where you were serving and where you were praying for others, where you were loving everyone around you and you were putting others first and, and taking faith-filled risk and being filled with the Spirit. Do you remember what it means to be deeply in love with God? Fully present, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. You know, in the beginning of any type of relationship, you are so aware of the moment. You are so fully present. All the actions that you do are motivated by your love and concern. No person would want to be, wants to be taken for granted. Why wouldn't the same be true for Jesus, the most important relationship in your life? Every once in a while, what, what, what I do when I'm in my basement is sometimes I, I go back and I open up the old dusty boxes and I look at my old journals to see what my relationship was like with God in the beginning. And I ask myself, am, am I totally different now? Do I take him for granted or take this relationship for granted? Have I lost the excitement and passion that I once had for him? For all of us, when we come to Christ, we, have, we may have had this amazing start, this, this amazing honeymoon period in faith. But as years go by, things happen. We may have gotten married, had kids, have a mortgage, have family health issues, be overwhelmed by the worries of the world, our career, or the lures of temptation with distractions, materialism, consumerism. And then what happens is this. By neglecting Jesus, our, our, our lampstand that was once fully lit and blazing with God's presence and with his God's glory and fire becomes more dim and dim and dim until it's taken away and it's snuffed out and it is no more. A loss of your light and your influence as a believer. You see, this letter should be a wake-up call for all of us. It doesn't matter how hard you work for God. It doesn't matter how patient you are or how much you've suffered without quitting. It doesn't matter how good your theology is or, or how much you've served the church. If you have your, lost your motivation to love Christ first and others, then all those other things are meaningless. Jesus is calling you today to repent, to turn back around, to, to turn back to him, your first love. And he's calling you to fall in love with him again. Don't let your performance or your appearance as a Christian outpace your intimacy with the Father. This passage goes on to say in verse 7 that, that anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. He is writing this to us to tell us that, that we need to be cognizant of the Spirit speaking into our lives at all times. It says that, that, to, that to everyone who's victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. When we overcome, this light and this fire would not be removed and we get to experience a fullness of, what it, of victory, walking with Jesus in the here and now, seeing the kingdom effects in our life, affecting us and the lives of those around us. Repent, 
and turn back to your first love. You see, this call to repent is not just for those who have lost their first love in Jesus, but it's also for, for those of us that have left him for other distractions, other gods, other idols, other practices, and other things of this world. No matter how far you have gone, Jesus is calling you back to turn around back to him. And we see this message that he has for us in the church, the message to the church of Pergamum. So let's continue Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 through 16. And this brings us to our next point. Don't just turn back to your first love, but, but maybe some of you have to turn back from a life of compromise. Turn back from a life of compromise. Verse 12. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Pergamum. This is the message from the one with the sharp two-edged sword. I know that you live in a city where Satan has his throne, yet you have remained loyal to me. You refuse to deny me even when Antipas, my faithful witness, was martyred among you there in Satan's city. But I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam, who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. In a similar way, you have some of the Nicolaitans among you who follow the same teaching. Repent of your sin or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. So just to give you some background, this letter is written to the church at Pergamum or Pergamus. And this was the, the political capital of the Roman Empire in Asia Minor at that time. This was a big political city. It had one of the greatest libraries in the world with one of the, one of the largest number of volumes of books. In addition to that, there were many significant temples, Greek and Roman temples to the Roman and Greek gods, Dionysus, Athena, Demeter, and Zeus. But it was also unique in that it had a, had a temple in fact, to worship the Roman emperor himself where the, where the Roman emperor could be worshipped. This city, Pergamon, was also known for its worship to this specific local god named Asclepius, who was a serpent figure that, that supposedly was this local god of, that brought medical and physical healing and people would come from all over to, to, to go and, and worship this, this local deity to find medical and physical healing. Jesus, in giving this message again, starts with affirmation in, in stating that he knows that, that the people there, that, that this church, that they do live in a city where Satan has his throne with all these religious and evil strongholds. There was a stronghold of the enemy there that had not yet been broken. Yet despite that, he affirms them by saying that they refused to deny him, even when Antipas, one of their faithful witnesses, was martyred. But he had a few issues with that church as well. Jesus said that, that although that church held on to faith in the midst of enemy territory, that did not give them license to follow all the customs and practices of the environment that they were in. 
They had tolerated and allowed the teaching like that of the teaching of Balaam. Who was Balaam? Balaam was a wicked prophet in the Old Testament who, was, who the Moabite king, King Balak, Balak, had hired to pronounce a curse on the Israelites because he was afraid they would take his land. But Balaam refused to, to curse them because he didn't want to be, be punished by God. But instead, he advised Balak on how to get them to compromise their beliefs and fall by enticing them into sexual immorality and committing adultery with the Midianite women and, and, and other people there, and therefore enticing them to worship their local god, Baal. Now, this angered God very much to the point that he punished the, the Israelites at that time very severely. And he references, and John references, that the Nicolaitans were similar to Balaam in how they persuaded and enticed the Christians in Pergamum to compromise their beliefs. The Christians in Pergamum subjected themselves to religious compromise, eating food that was sacrificed to, to idols, and also to moral compromise by committing sexual immorality. They held fast to their faith in Christ, but when the enemy could not influence them and force them to convert or renounce their faith, he switched strategies and instead wooed them by tempting them to compromise their lifestyle. Jesus then calls them to repent of their sin. And if not, they would face judgment, a reference to this double-edged sword. Maybe there are some of you here today that you have made a commitment to Christ. You have made a commitment not to lose your faith in Christ. And you consider yourself a Christian. And no matter what, you are steadfast in your faith and who you are and what you believe. And maybe you even wear a cross around your neck. And you think that that is good enough. But you forget that when we are not in the church or in a place that Christ has influenced, we are in the territory of the enemy. We are in a place where Satan has influence and where he is on his throne. And that world looks very different than the kingdom of God. That world looks very different in its expressions of his customs, its practices, and its beliefs, and its traditions. Even though you hold on to the name of Jesus in the midst of this world, you still may have been influenced by others who have called you into a life of compromise, religiously or morally. Thinking that, you know what, it's just easier for me to, to hold on to my faith as a Christian, but I'll submit to the pressures of this world to fit in with everyone else. That may be how the enemy has found a doorway into your life. Maybe he can't force you to renounce your faith in Christ, but he will seduce you into temptation, just like Jesus was tempted. You see, God has given us his holy standard on how to live. He's given us his holy standard, not because he's an angry, ruthless, or legalistic God, but because he loves us. He doesn't want to see us follow the customs of the world and, and end up in a downward spiral of addiction, of pain, of relational brokenness and hopelessness. If you follow him, simply follow his commands. It's as simple as that. 
follow his commands on, on how to live a pure life on how not to be drunk, on, on how not to fall into unhealthy relationships, on, or, or, or how, how not to fall into sexual immorality, on how, how not to do the things that everyone else is convincing you to do. Very often I, I hear from believers who were once on fire for God long ago. They say, hey, I still believe in Jesus, but I, I don't believe anymore a lot of the things that he's asking me to do or the standard of holiness that he's calling me to live. And they say that even though his word clearly spells his standards out. If you are a Christian and have been living in a lifestyle of compromise, I want to say this to you. He loves you and he wants better for you and he's calling you back. He's calling you to turn around in repentance and all you need to do is say, Jesus, I am sorry for living this life that I know is not in accordance to your will. I want what's better for me. I know you know what is better for me, and I want that. His call to us is holiness. You know, I, I really believe that this message from Jesus in Revelation 2 is especially true and especially for us, the body of Christ, living right here in New Jersey, in Bergen County, in Passaic County, in, in any suburb in the Northeast. We live in an, an environment that is secular, that is post-Christian, that celebrates individualism and personal success and consumerism and materialism. And if you have worked hard to enjoy success in every area of your life, but you have lost your first love in Christ, then all those other things don't matter. If you hold on to your identity as a follower of Christ, but have been lured by the compromising lifestyle of the world, it will only lead you to a place of pain and brokenness. So where do you see yourself? Do you see yourself like the church at Ephesus or the church at Pergamum? I'm sure for most of us, we can relate to both of these in different ways. But thankfully, all throughout the road ahead of us, God has placed U-turns and jug handles all along the road, all around for us to find our way back to him. It's time to repent. It's time to come home. Jesus is waiting for you with open arms. You see, true repentance is not just confession. But true repentance requires action. It's a turnaround. It's making a U-turn. How do we do this? I know for, for many of you watching and, and listening, for those of, who, you, of you who have been part of the Plant Church community, we have talked about an easy model to remember this, and this is the Cairo circle. A Kairos moment is a significant moment in time in which you have had Holy Spirit conviction, a moment in which God is speaking to us, revealing a truth or intervening in a particular circumstance or in a particular issue. So how do we engage this circle in repentance? First, we humble ourselves. We humble ourselves and acknowledge what has happened. 
We acknowledge that, that moment of the conviction that, that, that God has given us or, 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 or that, that, that moment that, that has happened at that point in time. Second, we take a step back and we reflect on the conviction that God is, is bringing to us. And we discover what God is asking us to do in that moment. In that moment of con- conviction, we, a- we ask God, what are you asking us to do? Next, we put that repentance into action. And we make a plan of, of how we are going to change our life, how we are going to change our actions, how we are going to change our behavior. And this is something that, that this, uh, this plan is not something that, that we just execute alone. But we are a part of the church. We grab our brother or sister in Christ and we bring them along into this plan and we ask them to pray for us. We ask them to hold us accountable to this change, to this turn. And lastly, we take a step of initiative to act on this moment. That is the Kairos Circle. You see, repentance is really about relationship. Repentance is a U-turn. But what's amazing about this is that when you repent and when you turn around, you don't just go back to square one and have to work yourself back up to, 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 to God where, where you once were. But Jesus cares about the present, the here and now. Sure, you will work on your past habits. Sure, God will bring healing through your woundedness and you work on those different things in those areas in your life. But, but he calls us to repentance because he wants to, you to experience his presence in the here and now. And when you do that, he will take you on a new road and not waste the story of your life. And he'll make that a living testimony for others. God doesn't want anything, anything to stand in between you and your relationship with him. And he calls us to be holy like he is holy. As you pursue repentance, you pursue holiness. This is the work of sanctification. This is the work of the Holy Spirit transforming us and changing us to to make him more and more like him every single day. Just like the father in the parable of the prodigal son, he is waiting for you to come back home. It's never too late to repent. It's never too late to take that exit and come turning around. Turn back to your first love. What we're going to be doing is we're going to be moving into a song of worship. And as we do that, I want to challenge you to open up your hearts for a time of confession and of repentance and ask God to forgive you and ask Jesus to to come in and and, and make a decision to turn around. Maybe there are some of you here today that you you were once on fire for God, but you have lost your first love. And you say, Jesus, I've lost my first love for you. And I don't want the lampstand to be taken from me. I want to turn around. I want to be passionately in love with with my relationship with you. I I want to be fully present spiritually, emotionally. And if that's you, just just confess that. Maybe there's some of you here that that you feel like you you are a follower of Jesus and, and you hold on to your faith, but you have 
slid back or you have, have, have lived a life that is compromising to the life of holiness that he's called you to do. And if that's you, just, just open up your heart, allow the Holy Spirit in and, and say, Jesus, I confess, I'm sorry that I've claimed you as my Savior, but I've lived this life that is not of you. And I choose to make a turnaround right now. So as we worship together, let's open up our hearts, let's confess, let's repent and fall into his arms together. I want to thank you for, for worshiping with us, whether you're worshiping on your knees or with your hands raised or, or with your hearts open. I want to thank you for, for pushing in in worship, in repentance and, 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 and confession and conviction. I want to encourage you that if you have repented, if you, were, if you had said you were sorry, the Bible tells us that Jesus is kind and he's merciful and he's just and he forgives us of our sins. So you in Christ are set free. If you're someone that, that doesn't know Jesus, the same is true. If you repent of the things of your past and you turn your heart to him, he is kind and he is just and he embraces you and he adopts you and he saves you as his own and gives you a new life, not just eternally, but a new life that you could live in the fullness here, now, today. They say that repentance is the catalyst for revival. Let's be a church that is willing to be on our knees in repentance to pursue holiness so that we could see revival take root in our state of New Jersey, our country, of our world. Let that be our prayer for this week. Thank you and God bless.